Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Community Church's online service. Whether it's through the podcast or it's through the YouTube channel, we are glad that you have joined with us in worship. I do want to take a moment, though, to encourage those of you who live in the Simi Valley area to come and to join with us in in in-person worship. Stonebridge has been very careful throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. We have made sure that we did not put people in harm's way in the midst of this pandemic. But we are at a point now where we are confident that our in-person services are safe, as safe as they can be. So we have a Saturday night outdoor service at 5.30, and we have a Sunday morning indoor service at 10.30. And I want to invite you, if you're in the Simi Valley area or Moore Park or the greater Los Angeles area, come and join us for our in-person services. Christian faith was meant to be lived in community with actual people gathering together. That's the way the church has functioned for thousands of years. So if you're in the area, come and join us. If you're not ready to, or if you're traveling, then I am still glad that you're just worshiping with us through this podcast or through the YouTube channel. In this online service, you will hear the scriptures read, you will hear the word of God preached, and you will hear some music so that you can be guided in your worship. So I'm glad that you've tuned in with us. I'm Pastor John. Welcome to worship with Stonebridge Community Church. And we're going to have some announcements so you can hear about our church community and decide if you want to become more involved in our local church community. So God bless you and let us worship God. Welcome to Stonebridge. Starting Tuesday, June 29th, we're launching a special five-week podcast for parents called Stonebridge Parents. Hosted by Stephanie Leedy, Director of Children's and Family Ministries, this podcast will be dedicated to having real, honest conversations with members of our community. Each week, we will talk with a special guest about a variety of parenting topics, including entitlement, special needs, mom guilt, and more. We have some amazing episodes, moments, and parenting game changers parents of all ages will want to hear. We would love to know that you're participating in worship. Continue to share your news, prayers, and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you're following along in the Bible app, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are an important part of Stonebridge's community of faith. Once again, welcome to worship. This week, we are continuing our sermon series entitled Cultivate where we're looking at the letter to the Philippians, this this letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. Uh, The Christians there who are following Jesus, this church that Paul has started, he writes this letter to encourage them, to spur them on in their faith. And we're looking at this letter to see how God cultivates the church in Philippi, so that we can see how God cultivates churches today. At the very beginning, Paul tells the church in Philippi that God is cultivating them for a harvest of righteousness. So what does God's work look like when God cultivates a church? That's what we're turning to this letter to find out. So today I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 18. And as I read this scriptures, I invite you to hear the word of God. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, in which you shine like stars in the world. It is by your holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you also must be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for this word. And I invite you to join with me in prayer. Please pray with me. Lord, week in and week out, we turn to your scriptures. Week in and week out, we come before your Bible in order to hear your word. And we ask that through this letter to the Philippians that Paul wrote, that we would hear your word clearly. We ask, Lord, that you would guide us. Show us how we might be your followers, be your disciples in the world. Speak to us clearly now, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to get a little creative with me today. Imagine that you are there when this letter would first have been received by the church in Philippi. Now, you most likely, if you were there, would not have been able to read. It's not like you would have had a copy of the letter passed to you and everybody would have sat down and read the letter silently and then discussed it afterwards. That's just not how communication in the ancient world worked. Most likely, the majority of people in the church in Philippi would not have been able to read. Reading was reserved for those with means. And Paul's churches, as we know, they had a mix of people, some poor, some rich. Some would have been educated. Most would not have been educated. So one person would receive this letter and read it. It also wouldn't have been something where there would have been multiple copies of the letter when it was first read. There would have been just the one copy because producing a piece of writing was costly. So this one letter would have been brought to this church. Everybody would have gathered in somebody's home. And then it would have been read out loud. So imagine that you're there in this ancient Greek home in Philippi, this province of the Roman Empire. And this letter has arrived. And you're sitting there and you're hearing it read. Paul begins with those words of encouragement that we read the last few weeks where he just says how happy he is with what this church is doing and you're feeling good. And then Paul goes on to let you know about his situation, that Christ is being proclaimed and this is good news also and you're feeling encouraged and Paul seems to have this upbeat attitude. And then Paul turns to the example of Christ and you're feeling like you're rallied. The humility that Christ showed, you're ready to go live it out. And then Paul gets to these verses. And you hear these words, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a slightly different tone there. Maybe not tone, but it, fear and trembling, it evokes a different feeling than Paul's words before this letter. What is Paul talking about with work out your salvation with fear and trembling? 
Now, I don't know what your response is to that phrase, but if I were sitting there hearing this letter read for the first time and I get to fear and trembling, it's at that point that I think my anxieties would start to raise a little bit. At least my curiosity would be piqued. I'd begin wondering, what is Paul talking about with fear and trembling? I, I thought we were supposed to be encouraged, that there was humility here. But now we're talking about this fear and trembling and working out salvation with fear and trembling. Like I said, I think anxieties would be raised here. And as this whole passage goes along, you could forgive somebody if they're reading this for the first time, if they started to feel a bit of pressure, especially if they were a newer Christian who's coming to this. Because Paul, he talks about this fear and trembling and working out your salvation, and there's this burden that's placed. I mean, salvation is what Paul's talking about here, and salvation is pretty important. Now, when we look at the term salvation in the Bible, we have to remember that that's a word in the Bible that is used many times to mean many different things. In just this letter itself, earlier on, Paul, he talks about being delivered from his bonds of imprisonment. And the word that he uses is the same word that's translated here as salvation. So when we come to the idea of salvation in the Bible, we always have to stop and look at what exactly is being meant here. Many of us today, we would read this word salvation in the Bible and we will import into the scriptures the idea of dying and going to heaven. Now that is a part of salvation, I believe, but that's not what Paul would have been meaning exactly. According to Paul, the salvation that he's talking about here, it is a deliverance. But it's not just escaping the world and going to heaven. For Paul, salvation was about this life also. It wasn't about what happens after you die, but it begins right now. For Paul, when you're saved in Christ, you're saved from sin, you're saved from death, you're saved from persecution, you're saved from suffering. Though that may still happen in your life, the salvation Paul is talking about, it pushes us to hope for the day when Jesus returns and all of that suffering, that persecution, all of the sin that entangles our lives, it's redeemed and restored. And it begins now. But for Paul also, salvation is not something that we just look towards to when we die or we look towards to when Christ returns. We're saved from all that and the hope that we have in Jesus that saves us to something else. It saves us for something, for the mission that God has given us. We're saved so that we can go and be a blessing to other people. We're saved so that we can go and spread the hope that we have. We're saved so that people can see what freedom in Christ actually looks like. The freedom that can only come through giving away our freedom to Jesus. We're saved so that others can experience God. So when Paul's talking about salvation, that's most likely what he's referring to here. And it is more of an ongoing process. So you can imagine that you're sitting there hearing this letter read for the first time. And you're wondering what, what, what exactly is Paul talking about? And somebody else in the room points out to you that this is what salvation means according to Paul. 
But you realize at that point that what Paul's talking about is very important. Uh, This is not just a to-do list, but there's deep significance to what Paul is talking about here. So you feel a little bit of pressure. I imagine, though, that your pressure, it would increase because most likely there's somebody there in that room hearing this letter read with you that understands when Paul wants the church in Philippi to shine like stars, this person would be familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. And I think would remember that God made a promise to Abraham that had to do with people shining like stars. All the way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis, in the the first 10, 11 chapters, we hear the story of Abraham. And Abraham is one of the early patriarchs. God develops the nation of Israel through Abraham. And the nation of Israel is the nation that gives us Jesus. The ancient kingdom of Israel is the kingdom that gives us Jesus, eventually. But the promise that God had made to Abraham is that Abraham's descendants would be like the stars. Now, at one level, what God was referring to was that Abraham's descendants would be many. As many stars as there are in the sky, that's what Abraham's descendants would be like. But there's another level that focuses not just on the quantity of Abraham's descendants, but on the quality as well. In the ancient world, stars were not thought of as big balls of gas with nuclear explosions taking place millions and millions of miles away from us. They would have no concept of that. When they looked up at the stars, what they saw were almost divine beings, angel-like beings. They saw guides. I mean, you see this in the Gospel of Matthew where a star guides the wise men to the place where Jesus is. Stars were not just numerous, but they were something you look to for guidance. So when God says to Abraham that your descendants will be like the stars, they're supposed to be a blessing to the world. Abraham's descendants are going to be the way in which God blesses the world. And that takes place through Jesus. But now here Paul is in this letter saying that the church in Philippi is supposed to shine like the stars. There's a little bit of pressure there. There's expectations there. So you could see how if you had some anxieties rising, hearing that phrase, it would raise them even more. And then Paul also says to the church in Philippi that he wants to be able to boast about their work on the day of Christ. That when Jesus returns, he wants to know that his work wasn't in vain because of the work that they're doing. Another layer of pressure here. It's like Paul is putting his legacy on the church in Philippi. So if you're a new Christian, and if you're sitting there hearing this letter read for the first time, I think you'd start to feel a little bit of pressure. You'd start to wonder, can you live up to this? And I think for people today, for any of us seeking to follow Jesus, there's those moments where we do feel that pressure also. Where we worry about, are we living up to what God wants for us? 
Are we fulfilling the call that God has for us? Are we doing this all correct? Are we doing this in the right way? And I think there's also the worry about just salvation in general too. Are we actually saved? When Paul says to work out salvation with fear and trembling, is that supposed to cause a level of insecurity amongst us? I think that these are all pressures that are normal and natural to feel with following Jesus. And for people who are not certain if they really want to follow Jesus, I can see that being told that part of following Jesus means that you have to be lifted up as an example, that you have to be like a shining star. There is pressure in that. It's at this point, though, that we can be grateful for the church. And if you were a Christian sitting there in that church in Philippi, and you're learning about what all this Jesus stuff means, it's at that point that I think you'd be grateful that somebody like, I'm going to say, Lydia would be in that room. Who's Lydia? Well, the book of Acts tells us that Lydia was one of the early Christians in Philippi one of the leaders in the church. It's this woman that Paul meets in the book of Acts. She's out by a, a river, I believe. And she's, she's a follower of God. She's a Jew, most likely, or maybe a converted Jew or just a Jew living in Philippi. But she's a worshiper of God. And she begins following Jesus. And she's a key leader in this church and she would know Paul. And it's at this point that if people were feeling pressure, Lydia, knowing Paul, would point out to them Paul's line in Philippians 2.13, where Paul says, For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I think Lydia would be wise enough, mature enough to remind any Christians feeling pressure in that room when they're hearing this letter read for the first time. That Paul's emphasis is always on God's work. That when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's not meant to put pressure on you. Because he follows it up right away with, for it is God who is doing this work amongst you. If you go and you read about Paul's life, and you look at the book of Acts, and read about Paul in the book of Acts, or read the points in his letters, Paul was always focused on God's work first. When there's a shipwreck in the book of Acts and, and Paul is saved, he recognizes that all of it was God's work, that God was accomplishing a task there. When Paul is bit by a snake and doesn't feel the effects of the poison, it's recognized as the work of the Holy Spirit. The, the big things that Paul experiences, he knows that the Spirit's work is there. When Paul is debating whether or not to return to Jerusalem in the book of Acts, he attributes it to God's work and God's call when he decides to go back to Jerusalem. Both the small things and the big things, they're God's work. And when Paul experiences good things, he attributes it to God. But also when Paul experiences persecution and suffering, he doesn't attribute the persecution and the suffering to God, but he recognizes that in the midst of difficult things, God is still working. That God is still working to overcome difficult things, to overcome the tragedies in his life. For Paul, when you looked around at the world, you saw God's work through and through. 
So for Paul, when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, the Christians aren't supposed to walk away from that feeling this deep pressure. They're supposed to walk away with that with a sense of raw of awe and reverence that God is at work amongst them, that God is the one who is accomplishing this task, that God is the one who is cultivating them. I think Lydia would have reminded the Christians in the room when they're reading this letter for the first time that that's what Paul's referring to. This deep truth, this good news that God is at work. And for each and every one of us, we go about our lives. We go about our lives with the tasks that we have, but how often does that perspective really break through for us? When you receive uh, a, a raise at work, do we recognize that as God's work in our lives? When a surgery goes successful and God successfully works through the hands and the minds of doctors and nurses, do we recognize that as the work of God? When we get to embrace a family member and get more times with somebody that we love, do we recognize that as the work of God? Do we attribute these beautiful things in our lives that we all experience every single day as the work of God? And when things go poorly, when things are bad, when we're experiencing difficulties or tragedies, like Paul, when he experiences suffering and persecution, do we see that God is still working, that God is still working to redeem and restore all that which is broken? Working out your salvation with fear and trembling, I think it's working out your salvation with an awareness of God's work. It's reflecting on your salvation, knowing that God is the one who is accomplishing that salvation now. I think when Paul is talking about working out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's not telling us to put together a list of to-dos. He's not telling us that we have to earn God's favor. He's helping us have a perspective that God is at work amongst us, that God is at work in our lives. And I think a church that is being cultivated by God, it's a church that recognizes that perspective. It's a church that looks around at the beautiful things that are happening, that every single time when we gather for worship, when we're connected together, God is at work pulling us together into community so that we can give people a glimpse of God's kingdom. That's the church that God is cultivating. I think that when that, this letter was first read, one of the beautiful things about the church is that somebody could express, I don't know what Paul's talking about. And other people would be there to provide insight, to guide other Christians, to be part of one another's lives, and to remind each other that being a Christian, first and foremost, is not about our work but it's about the work that God has already done and the work that God is doing. So may we have that perspective. May we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Though we don't understand exactly what that means all the time, may we be aware of God's presence in our lives, of God's work in our lives. And may that be the perspective that drives us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.
the cornerstone Things that we thought were death Are breathing in life again You cause your
Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. As we conclude our online service, once again, I want to invite you to come and join with us in person. Saturday nights at 5.30, that's the outdoor service. Sunday mornings, 10.30, that is our indoor service. Pre-registration is no longer required for either service, so come as you are and join us. And if you are vaccinated, masks are optional. But wherever God may take you this next week, may you go with the perspective that Paul has. May you go seeing God's work throughout your life. May you go pointing others to God's work in their lives. And may you go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and love of the Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go in peace and amen.